you know, I, I've heard Tom Petty say, like playing guitar, he would come off the stage at Madison Square Garden and he would have to pace in the hotel room for like an hour every show. And he said the reason he had to do that is because he felt literally possessed during the concert. Like he would put his hands on the guitar and he knew he's playing guitar, but he would let go so much to the point where something else was playing the guitar. Right. And if you listen to like the way Michelangelo describes like painting the Sistine Chapel, he says that like something just came over him. So now they've studied that. They call that flow. Right. And flow is where literally they can see in the brain that the ego gets quiet and real consciousness shows up in the room. Now, what makes that a sign of consciousness? Because, again, the ego is trying to protect itself. So it wants to predict and it wants to be self-conscious and it wants to script and it wants to prep and it wants to get a certain agenda. Consciousness wants to just be in flow. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Kathy Heller. You may know Kathy from her popular podcast, Kathy Heller Presents, don't Keep Your Day Job, which has over 30 million downloads, where she has interviewed everyone from Matthew McConaughey to Malcolm Gladwell to Bobby Brown. You may also know her as the author of the best-selling book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, or from her reputation as a singer-songwriter where her career began. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Kathy Heller to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Kathy Heller, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to meet you. I love what you're doing in the world. It's really powerful. You really care about people and it's it's landing. So congrats to you. Thank you. And likewise, I mean, your story is very inspirational in so many ways. And we're going to get into like a lot of the nuts and bolts of it and how you've kind of transformed yourself between like a lot of the adversities that you have faced and overcome. But I know one of the things that you've been really excited about chatting about recently, I was looking on your social media, is this idea of living abundantly. And I know living abundantly right now over the last couple of years has been like a popular phrase. You see it everywhere. You see it on memes. You see it in videos. In your context, in your opinion, like what does living abundantly mean? And like what kind of things can people do to be able to make sure that they're living abundantly? Oh my God, I love you. I love this question. Thank you for doing a little research. This is all I want to talk about. So just to give some context, okay, so I was a comparative world religion major in college, took a what I thought was going to be a two-week trip to Jerusalem just to like check it off the bucket list, and I stayed for three years studying Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, went to Los Angeles, started studying at the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center where we're kind of studying the brain and what's happening at a science level when we step into a place of coherence. And from there, started doing my own meditation practice and started to do everything else in my own career, which then I saw firsthand what it actually means to live an abundant life. And so I kind of come into this with a little bit of mysticism, quantum physics, Kabbalah, meditation, and I kind of stir all that in the pot. So to answer your question, to me, everybody does want abundance, right? Everybody has that desire to have abundance in every area of their life, this feeling of expansion, this feeling of abundance and plenty, right? You want plenty of love in your life. You want an abundance of money in your life. You want an abundance of well-being in your life. So here's the deal. We don't get what we want. That's just not how the world is set up. What we do get every time is what we are. All right, so what does that mean? If you took two guitars and for 10 years, that's what I did. I played music and wrote music for film and TVs and advertising. And we'll talk about that later. But if you took two guitars right here, right now, and anyone can do this. And on one guitar, I pluck an A string on the other guitar that's sitting next to it. The A string will vibrate. So literally this world is designed like a tuning fork. Okay. So when you look at the world with your naked eye, 
it looks as though things are physical. And that's what Einstein said is like the greatest illusion of the world because an atom, which every single thing is made of, is 99% a vibration. It's a wave and it's less than 1% something that even resembles a particle. And it's not even really a particle because it's also moving so fast. So the world looks separate, but it's really not. The world looks physical, but it's really not. So when Marianne Williamson was on my podcast, she said it really well, which is if you looked at the ocean as a metaphor, how could you ever think that a wave was separate from another wave? Because that's impossible. You can never really figure out where does this wave end and this one begins. And at the same time, you would never think that the wave is separate from the ocean itself because the wave is the ocean. So from a Kabbalistic perspective, now taking it back to that, the idea, the word Kabbalah comes from the word likabel. That's the Hebrew word. And that's the same word in Hebrew to receive. So instead of thinking about the law of attraction, it's really the law of reception. And if I had a radio in this room sitting next to me, I could tune the receiver. And depending on where my receiver is tuned, I could hear different songs right now. So if I put a radio in this room while my naked ears don't hear anything, if I had a receiver that could hear, depending on where I tune it, I could hear Kanye West, I could hear, I could hear Selena Gomez, I could hear something Latin, I could hear sports broadcasting, I could hear AM radio, right? So the world is a vibration and it's in tune with your vibration. So when I said we don't get what we want, we get what we are, we literally are abundance because each of us literally is like the wave of the ocean. So if God, the universe, was the sun, we're each an expression of that sun. We are each a ray of that sun. So therefore, how do we experience abundance in our life is by knowing who we are. And, on, and how do we do that? We have to stop identifying with the trance of the ego and the ego inside of the brain is actually a pretty big problem because 95% of the brain is subconscious and it's replaying a software program that was put in there since you're about seven and only 5% of your brain is connected to your soul, to your consciousness, to free choice, to actually being awake in the present moment. So most of the time when people say, I'm not getting what I want, if you think the way you thought yesterday and you felt the way you felt when you thought that yesterday, you'll do what you did yesterday, which means you'll have the same results that you had yesterday. So if you want to have more of what you want, you have to remember it's not even what you're doing, it's who you're being because it's a tuning fork. So the more that you can tap into this greater expansive part of ourselves, which is beyond the ego, beyond the subconscious, then you're no longer limited by something that identifies you as physical and part of a story of everything you've been through, which is the past, but actually identifies you with something that is infinite, which is your soul, which is, was, and will be. And when we close our eyes and we meditate or anybody who's had an experience of being out in nature or praying or closing your eyes and making a wish on a candle, there is something that inherently feels 100% like it goes on and on forever. And in that place, we feel whole, we feel blissed out, we feel compassion, we feel energized, we feel creative. When we're in that place, we literally continue to be a magnet for abundance because you get exactly what you are. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. I had context as to like what you, what you studied like early on, but I know from looking at some of your posts, like some, some of that in a way, at least to me and maybe others can be misleading when people talk about abundance, not like you, but when they're just like, just live abundantly, live abundantly, live abundantly. Because I think oftentimes people will misconstrue that and say, okay, if I'm living abundantly, if I'm thinking positively, if I'm like knowing myself, that means life's just going to be easy all the time. And I'm going to achieve all this wealth and everything. And then the fact of the matter is it's just, life's just not that simple, right? It's like, life's going to happen. You're still going to experience hardship. But I think maybe what you're saying with living abundantly, it just shifts your perspective when like negative things happen or something goes wrong in your life to somehow accept it. It's just part of the greater plan. You know, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way. I'll tell you how I feel. It's like, it's fascinating to me because 
for years, you know, at 15, I was in therapy off and on until I was about 30. And my parents got divorced and my dad and mom both struggled with mental health. And my mom, you know, definitely said things to me a lot like, you know, look, life is hard. And, you know, marriage is hard. And being an adult is hard. And I hear that a lot. And here's what I think. I think that if, if let's put it this way. If we felt bad physically, I'm not talking about emotional, I'm not talking about with our mental well-being, but if physically we felt badly 20% of the day, let's say we felt nauseous for 20% of the day, or we had a headache, a really bad headache, we would be concerned. If every day, part of the day, we felt physically something really off, We'd be concerned and we would call someone. And if that continued to perpetuate as like part of our life, like every single day for months, and we just felt physically something really off, we would call somebody and we would really look into it because we have a belief that we should physically feel good all the time. And if something doesn't feel good, we have a belief that that's not, that's not kosher. Like that shouldn't be that way. But we have a belief with our mental well-being, with our mental health, that we're not supposed to feel good all the time. And so it doesn't really worry us when we don't feel good. We expect that life is supposed to throw us hard things and it's supposed to be hard sometimes. And over the last several years, you know, going and meditating with Deepak Chopra and spending week-long retreats with people like Joe Dispenza, I've literally watched people stand up after coming to these retreats and memorizing how to feel really, really good. And I've watched them stand up and say, it's been six months and I no longer need this medication. I'm not on antidepressants. I'm not struggling with anxiety. Let's talk about that for a second. So on a cellular level, our cells develop receptor sites for everything. They develop receptor sites for nicotine. If you smoke, you'll see them in people's cells. If you eat a lot of sugar, which most people do, you'll see it in the cell. What we don't realize is that when we feel bad, when we feel sad, we feel self-doubt, we feel anxious, our body releases cortisol in our brain and our cell develops receptor sites for cortisol. Now, here's what's interesting about it. So I have had Dan Buettner on my podcast and his work is really amazing and I've gone on to study it and understand it better. And this man used to be running National Geographic, and he noticed that there were places in the world where people lived the longest. They lived into like their hundreds, well beyond where anyone else was living in the world, like these five places over and over, generation after generation, people were living the longest, but they weren't just living. They were thriving. They weren't in old age homes. They didn't have cancer. They were riding bicycles and making baguettes and hanging out with their grandkids. And he said, what's going on here? So he went to these five places called the blue zones and he studied it. What do they have in common? Is it their diet? Is it their climate? Is it their religion? It turned out that all of these people in these five different places practice meditation every day. And why was that responsible for their longevity? It's because they had a reduced level of cortisol in their body because the stress hormones not only did they go down, but what got replaced with the cortisol was dopamine and oxytocin from the meditation. And what he found is that these people were genuinely happy on a genetic level, and they weren't experiencing life as anything other than magical. If you suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, cramping, even when you're eating healthy, nutritious foods, then you could probably benefit from a high-quality enzyme. If you've never tried enzymes, or even if you've tried and they haven't worked, I want you to give this one a chance. As you know, I'm a big fan of the company Bioptimizers. They are one of the few supplement companies who have the best formulations and use the highest quality ingredients and their products work. I asked them if we could organize a great deal for all of my listeners, and they over-delivered. Right now, you can get a bottle of Mazimes for free. All you need to do is pay a small shipping fee and there's no catch. There's no tricks, no forced continuity, and nothing to cancel. They are so confident in their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee, so I'm positive you'll be satisfied with the results. 
Mazzymes is a 17 enzyme full spectrum formula, plus it contains all the key enzymes needed for optimal digestion. So many individuals suffer from digestive issues because any protein your body doesn't break down can lead to digestive distress, gas, bloating, and constipation. Mazzymes can help ensure that all the protein that you consume breaks down into absorbable amino acids. So I strongly suggest that you head on over to their site to grab your bottle before they either run out or take down this offer. Go to mazzymes.com slash free. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash Doug free, which is all one word, and you will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. Limit one per household. Offer is valid while supplies last. You're going to love their products. So go now. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, a lot of, and a lot of that makes sense. And I, I agree with I'm just kind of in a way playing a little devil's advocate because this is one of the things that I hear from like people like for instance I have a, I have a really good friend who's going through something really really challenging in that her mom is is on the verge of death in like the next few months and we've been talking and I've been trying to just say like listen you got to take care of yourself like I know this is hard and it's challenging I can't imagine how hard it is but you've been in this funk now for quite some time before this that I'm like worried you know and I want you to take care of yourself and she said she's like it's toxic positivity and I said listen like I'm not telling you that you should be positive about your mom passing away all I'm saying to you is that you've been in this funk now for like a long time and like how is this working out like how is this working for you like I'm seeing you just kind of fall apart and I'm just trying to help you be aware of like your actions and that you have some level of choice in how you carry yourself. So I guess bringing it back to what you were saying is like, what do you say to people like, like that, who they see, they, they might see the world a little bit differently in that they're, they, when they go through something challenging, like a breakup or, you know, heaven forbid, like somebody close to them is getting ready to pass away. And so they've almost like accepted that there is a period of time where their life, it's okay for their life to be challenging. Yeah, I think that contrast is a blessing. Right. You know, I mean, my friend, one of my closest friends, Amy Purdy, lost both of her legs to meningitis. And um, she's the happiest person I know, and it's not toxic. And she sees that as the greatest gift of her life because that contrast created an icon. It created a legacy. And people do say to her, she actually gets a lot of shade for being very much celebratory. That's okay. People get triggered by things. I think it's how people see the world. You know, she just came back from a gathering. She was invited to a private gathering and she called me. She's like, I just came back from hanging out with a few of us. We're invited to this private island, Elon Musk, me, Justin Timberlake, George Lucas. And she said, Elon got up and said, people say, I want to do something big with my life. I want to make a million dollars. And he said, I always looked at it like I want to make do something big with my life. I want to make an intergalactic difference by the end of the day. And I think it's something interesting. So she said, you know, now I'm getting back to reality being home. And I said, but but that's reality where you were. Right. So reality is the problem is that Einstein, you know, he talked about reality, but people didn't listen. And we don't really want to grasp reality sometimes because we're emotionally addicted, literally to cortisol. But here's the thing. So let's talk about reality, right? Things that happen, people who pass, right? What does it mean though? Like, what does it mean? If you're addicted to the notion that reality is physical, which is not true, we know it's not true. Like we literally can see that reality is mostly what's happening in the space between physical things. It's so interesting, right? Like let's look at time, for example. So time, people are certain that things take time, right? And that there's a certain amount of time, but time is literally made up, right? Like a day here on earth is 24 hours. How long is a day on Jupiter? Do you know? I have no idea. I wouldn't have known this either unless I studied it. A a day on Jupiter is nine hours and like 50 minutes. How long is a day on the moon? Do you think it's more, do you think it's more or less than Jupiter? Probably more. It is more. It's 700 and something plus hours. Let's talk about an hour in space. If you went beyond the solar system, right? All of these things like Jupiter and or the Earth, we all have something to do with the sun. But let's say we went outside of the solar system 
into space, how long does it take for an hour to pass? The answer is 26 seconds. Why is that important? <laughs> because we are obsessed with thinking that things are true that aren't. So this idea that in the universe, which is it's something that exists, right? Like you and I could sit here and say, I don't know what happens when you die. That's true. That's fair. But you and I cannot sit here and say that what's happening in the world is what's happening on Earth because we know more. We have more understanding, right? So we understand that if time, as Einstein said, if time is relative. So let's zoom out for a second. So if as you get further away from the Earth, time starts passing quicker. Right. So Jupiter, a day is nine hours outside of the solar system, an hour is 26 seconds. So what's happening as you move away from Earth? There is no time. Right. So if you use the word God or source or force or whatever this thing is, that if you zoom all the way out, there's there's something called no time. It's just now. It means the past, present and future are all happening now. It's collapsed. It's in this moment. So what I'm saying is. And Einstein said this, right? I'll, I guess I'll tip my hat to him. He said, I've studied enough science to know there's something going on that's way bigger than everything that we see. And I'm gonna call it God. And I don't really understand enough more about it, but I know that it exists. And I know it's not something that we can see with physicality. So what I'm saying is that's not a leap we have to make. That's kind of just the way this whole universe is. And what we do is we get bound by scarcity which is all coming from ego. And we go, look what's happening to me or look what's happening to her when really there's no place in the world where God isn't right. Like force, source, energy, whatever you want to call energy, whatever you want to call it. It's not over there, right? If the oceans and the waves, right? The waves are the ocean. There is nothing separate. We're all living more like in a pond, like you would throw a rock in a pond and there's ripple effects. So, when people say, look what happened to me, look what happened for me, you're the rock, you go first, you're throwing it. And then the ripple effects is what's coming back. And like I said, we now know that all disease leads, comes back from inflammation. In fact, they now know that genetically, there's no gene that says you're absolutely going to get this disease. What they know is, the, the DNA is wrapped in this protein and the protein changes shape depending on the signal that gets sent from the brain. So think of it like there is a genetic sort of grouping of possibilities and then there's a keyboard and your thoughts and your feelings that come from your brain decide what gets typed on that keyboard and therefore what gets signaled in the genetic code. So people can actually, that's what Dan Buettner is saying, they can actually change what's known we used to think like the, the earth was flat we now know it's not but we used to think genetically like this is just a foregone conclusion but we now know that that's not true so i guess the thing is once you see what i've seen it's hard to unsee it knowledge is power it really is invigorating it's it's hard to really hold on to struggle when you're aware when you have awareness of all these different other things. You know, I'll say this last thing, I had Deepak Chopra on the show recently and his new book is called Abundance. And this man meditates four hours every day minimum. And he was smiling at me and he said he's been enjoying his meditation recently because he's, he's getting ready for his transition. And he's like super healthy. You know, he eats like Ayurveda, this and that. He's like microbiotic, macrobiotic. And he goes, no, but I mean, like I'm in my seventies. So like, I, you know, I'm towards that. And he goes, and I'm just like, I, I get excited because it's just so much more expansive than this reality. You know, it's just interesting, right? It's just interesting that some of the people who offer the greatest amount of peace and life in this world had an awareness of the world being a lot more expansive than, than most people see it. I was not expecting us to go like this deep into like spirituality and like quantum physics and stuff. And I guess to follow up, I'm sure everybody's like wondering, like if they know your backstory, they know you were a singer, songwriter. Obviously, you shared that you went to school and studied like a lot of this stuff. But what inspired you to really take this to the next level where now you're understanding more about DNA, you're understanding more about like quantum physics, like was there something that, that happened in your life or you was it just like a continuing education thing for you? I mean, I think it's like life happens around you and you happen to you and you're constantly like 
throwing out different vibrations and seeing what's working. And I mean, I'm such a truth seeker. Like I want it, you know, like I want to reach for God. I want to reach for the, the full understanding of like the most mystical experience. I've always been that way. And I grew up in a house where people were miserable. So I knew that that couldn't be the way we are like supposed to grow up to be so unhappy and so addicted to things like alcohol and violence and divorce and depression and so much sadness. It just, it felt so unnecessary. It just seemed like so ridiculous. Like you don't look at the plant kingdom and see like redwood trees just suffering all day long. You know what I mean? Like they just reach as high as they can. They grow as tall as they can. There's so much peace. There's so much well-being. And then you look at the human species that's racked with suffering. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So that pain growing up through that, you know, watching my mom try to commit suicide twice, yeah, that definitely puts me in a position to want to know how to never, ever, ever be anywhere close to that. And is there really a real answer? And I was actually pretty cynical for a long time because I didn't really think there was anything other than just doing your best to cope with how bad life is. But eventually I learned so much that I understood the way we are and how much the suffering comes from identifying with being separate from the source of who you are, which is your consciousness, your soul. And when we're in that place, you know, it's just amazing what happens to the body, which to me is a clue that that's the right way to go, right? Like the fact that, and by the way, these people who live in the blue zones, they're all different religions. You know, they all have a different name for God. They all have a different face for God, but it was all that same thing, connecting with soul and consciousness that actually made them live longer. So to me, that's a clue that that's what comes in the instruction manual, right? So, and yeah, to touch on your other points, you know, I, I watched like my career, you said you were a songwriter. Yeah. I went out to LA to get a record deal at 24 and I got a record deal and I was signed to Interscope. And now I know that everything that happens, it's, it's what I'm a vibrational match for. So I got signed and I got dropped and I was like, oh, I got dropped. But like I dropped it and I dropped it because my subconscious belief was that if I actually went through with this deal, I would lose myself. I had all of this like sabotaging belief, which a lot of people have around success and money. And so I got quote unquote dropped, right? Like they dropped me, even though it was just, they were matching my vibe. And then I wound up getting day jobs and being unhappy. And then I wound up thinking like, is there any other way I could do what I love? Is it only Beyonce or nothing? And I wound up writing music for film and TV. And I just show this because it's a quick way to tell the story. But so then like in 2000, like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, like every year, like a big magazine would publish like a full page story about me, how I was like, here's another one. I just tell these stories. It's just, you know, pictures do tell stories faster. So this is a variety magazine and this is another story. And like, they were these, they weren't just like, oh, you were mentioned. It was like, they would do these full page features and it started in 2011 and I was like on the cover of the USA Today music section, the LA Weekly, da, da, da. And what happened was basically I was making a half a million dollars a year as a songwriter, writing songs by myself and pitching them without an agent and like super DIY, super indie, writing songs for One Tree Hill and Grey's Anatomy and Dawson's Creek and McDonald's commercials and all that stuff. And I thought maybe then I would get back into the record deal business, but what wound up happening is that I didn't expect it, but other artists started asking me like, how did you make your own career without needing somebody else? And I was like, oh, maybe this is something I'm supposed to do is teach other people with a dream how they, they can you know, not have to wait around for somebody. And I realized that I was manifesting pretty hard and I was like, all systems go. And I didn't need anybody to help me because it wasn't about waiting for someone else, you know? And I realized what was working. And so then I started a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job to try to help people who had any kind of dream to actualize getting to do what they love. I started it five years ago and now we're at 31 million downloads and I've interviewed all these people and the show went on to start teaching workshops and we've actually had 62,000 people take this workshop that I do. And the workshop is between three and $5,000, depending on if you pay for like the regular level or the upgraded level. And I'm with them live. Like, it's not like some pre-recorded anything. It's like, I'm alive with them on zoom, answering questions, putting them into breakout rooms and giving them homework and checking. It's like a very intense part of my life. And so it wound up making tens of millions of dollars to do these workshops to help people once and for all actually change their life. And so that's been the last five years and it's, it'll be exciting to see what's in the next five years.
Congratulations on all of that. It's so inspirational that you've been able to achieve that. You said a lot and I want to go back. I like getting into the moments where like you made that decision and you, you like had enough of like this one particular mindset that was holding you back and you propelled forward. And you mentioned that when you got dropped from Interscope, you, I guess at the time thought that they dropped you and you had these limiting beliefs that were like, you know, if I go through with this, I'm going to lose myself. And I think there's a lot of people in that moment when they get dropped from something like that, or they have a dream that comes to an end, they would either keep pursuing that dream, just banging their head against the wall without doing any internal work as to why it's not working out, or they would quit and then realize that everything else in their life is going to turn out that exact same way. And they're going to fail no matter how they try because of a limiting belief that they continue to believe about themselves. Like, how did you transform like your mindset to not, not only like go and do something else, but you didn't just like, half-assed it. You crushed it, like doing what you were doing. Like when was the moment when you realized your mindset was getting in the way? And then how did, what did you do to, to transform it? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, part of it was in order for me to get the deal at Interscope, right? If life is a tuning fork, I had to be in a certain vibration. And that was like so much of what actually was opening the doors continuously. What was getting in the way was being in full receptive mode. Right. By the time I was able to sit with Ron Fair, I was with him. Lady Gaga was recording a special version of paparazzi for the VMAs. And we were sitting there at Sunset Sounds and she's singing paparazzi. And I leave the label two months later for me to get there so fast. Right. From like moving to L.A. and like within a year, like that was coming from this place. If I had just lived in Jerusalem for three years and I was totally tuning my radio station to total possibility. And I wasn't, I wasn't playing in anything scarcity or fear or whatever. So that's actually what got me there. What happened was as soon as I was ready to receive something that was totally and fully like this satisfying dream, my ego came in the way and said, oh no, right? I just wanna lay out what the sabotaging belief is because I wanna talk about how I changed it and I think it's so crucial. It's one thing to be able to be so in wholeness and love and creativity that you attract wholeness and creativity and love. For me, that was like every Tuesday, right? Every day. But then there was a the next level, like then when someone wants to give you more and all, and enjoyment and like, go for it, right? And here's your stage and here's your spotlight. That's when my ego came in and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you to have all of this? Who are you to have all of this? What are you doing? This is like the devil's work. Don't go become rich. People who are really rich, there's something off. There's something unkind. So that's all ego. That's all ego. And that's where the ego actually plays this false humility role. So that's what I was able to shift in the next chapter. And that's where I learned that that's a mistake. Because instead of saying, who am I to have this? If every wave is part of the ocean, then every wave should be as full and as healthy and as vibrant as it could be because it affects the entire ocean, right? If Moses stayed in the desert and never said, I'm gonna you know, take heed and go into Egypt and bring these people out, so that would have been a problem. But what he first said was, who am I to do this? Go call on someone else. I have a lisp, right? Like some of the greatest archetypes in history have this moment. Who am I to do this? But that's making it about your ego. That's making it about you. It's not about you, right? Oprah said, I want to be as big as I can possibly be so that I can be a custodian for more resources right? Because it's not about me. In fact, it never is something that you have. Like money is like blood in the body. It has to keep moving. The word currency comes from the word current. It's a current. It keeps moving. How do you see that? You see that every second. What happens to money when you make money? It goes in the bank. Is it sitting in a bank? No, it's being used to underwrite people's loans right now. What happens when you buy a house on the block? Did you just help yourself? Well, you just improved your neighborhood if you spent money on your house. If you upgraded your house, did you just help your neighbor? Of course you just did. If you make money and you go hire someone, did you help the neighborhood? Yeah. If you make money and you go to Main Street and you go 
buy these beautiful pair of earrings this woman just made at this little shop. Did you go help her? Of course you did. Money is not yours. It's meant to be given away, right? And it's the same thing with love or oxygen. It's like the more love you have, you've seen those movies where Tom Hanks falls in love and then there's a scene and all he wants to do is like skip down the street and say hello to everybody and give it away. That's what any energy is. And so once I got that, oh my God, then I was like, why would I limit myself to making a million? Why would I limit myself to making 10? Because I'm not making it. It's the ocean that makes it. And I know, and this is something cool, like the Talmud talks about abundance and says, if rain falls in a garden, whatever it touches grows. So money is like rain, it says. So if rain falls on a weed, you get more of it. If rain falls on roses, you get more of it. So if you meet a person who's in touch with their integrity and they have money, they're gonna build hospitals with it. If you meet a person who's inherently a weed, you're gonna get some more of that, right? And it's the same thing across the world. Like we could all name 15 people who have money who come to mind who were jerks. You can also think of people who have no money who are really, really not kind. And the same thing goes for people who have money. You could think of a bunch of people right now, you're like, their name is on the hospital. Their name is on the theater. Those are the most generous people. Same goes for the other side. You could think of people who have very little means and they're very generous. So money is not the deciding factor and fame is not the deciding factor. It's how much you're aligned with being the ocean and not the wave. And once I really got that, I was back in and I was ready to move and it took all of the the limits off. Does that make sense? For sure, 100%, because I think it is like this, this mindset thing and just really coming down to not only like accepting yourself and knowing yourself and having this aurora, this vibration, this energy, whatever you wanna call it, to help attract like what you're meant to have in your life. I think it's also like getting past like the imposter syndrome of, am I allowed to receive this? Do I deserve this? Am I worthy enough? Like what's gonna happen if I get this? Am I gonna fall apart? I know you went through a lot of chaos when you were a kid. You just opened up and and shared about some of that a few minutes ago. Like knowing what you know now, you seem like a pretty self-aware person. Do you think any of that like got in the way of what you were doing in your you know, early to mid twenties, as you were, like, had just come out of this traumatic childhood. Like, were you ever like falling back into those patterns saying, oh my gosh, like my childhood was so traumatic or toxic that that's just the way it's going to be. Or was that something that you had moved past at that point? You know, there's a couple different, you know, ways to go. And we've seen some examples of people who, because they went through stuff, they become like radically the other way. And that's kind of how I was because when my dad left, he really left. I didn't know, you know, kind of his whereabouts. He got remarried, but I I wasn't even clued into that. And he had a new family, which I wasn't a part of any of that. Right. So that was like a actual abandonment, right? Like he left, closed the door, went on to have a life I didn't even know about. Meanwhile, I'm at this point, I'm living alone with my mom. We have like no electricity right? We're living in this little apartment. She can't get out of bed and she tries to end her life. And I'm the one calling an ambulance. You know, those experiences, they're so big that it's kind of like sometimes rock bottom, like losing everyone and being completely and totally with this, like, okay, now I'm 12 and I am all alone in this world, living in this apartment with no money, with no parents, right? that it so propels you up. And yeah, did I know any of the things I just said first? No, the first step was I went to therapy, right? And I went there and I went there and I started going more. And I actually realized that I didn't feel any better. Like talking about my story and talking about my problems, I didn't find it that helpful. And then eventually I started doing other things started doing yoga. I would come out of a yoga class, I would feel better. Then I would do breath work. Then I would do like a sound bath. Started doing other kinds of energy work. And then I started really learning about why do people think that we're here? I was like, started to feel so much better. And I realized that everybody around me was addicted to their ego, right? It was like, I'm me, he's him. 
This is my problem. This is who I am. These are my flaws. These are my wins. This is what it's like. There were no souls around. Nobody was connected to what's actually going on here. And so everybody was so disempowered and miserable. And, you know, this idea of like, who am I to have this? Who am I to do this? That's when you say that when not you, but if somebody says that and they're like, well, I don't know, I don't feel worthy. Who doesn't feel worthy? You or your ego? You don't feel worthy? Like your real self, when you close your eyes and you're not caught in the story, like I am Kathy Heller and I'm bad at math, but I'm good at English and I have freckles and I weigh this much. Like that's, that's a character you're playing. You know what I mean? Like, and that's changed so many times. The only thing that hasn't changed is the consciousness. So the more I started really getting like really what's going on, you know, you study like Wayne Dyer, Don Miguel Ruiz, Abraham Hicks, Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle. It's like, they're all saying the same exact thing. So after a while, you get it. And then living in Jerusalem was just so amazing. I, I think it would be similar to like Jay Shetty when he moved to India and he was a monk for a few years. Like when you live in a world where you're not watching television, you're filled up just learning mystical, you know, ancient Kabbalah for thousands of years. It's been written like you're, that's all I was doing for three years. So that was a very somatic full on experience. And so it completely reset me like going to LA after that, I was just such a different person than I was at 12, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Thousand percent. And the ego is something that can, can trip a lot of us up and it can definitely like hold us back from certain things. And it can also, I guess in a way, like some, in some ways force us to behave negatively, right. Towards other people in certain situations. I think a lot of people though, are just, they're just uneducated, I guess, on like, like how to know if their ego is getting in the way. Like, I think a lot of people are just, they're just going through the motions and they don't have this self-awareness to know like, oh, like that's my ego talking or, oh, like I'm holding myself back. Like, what advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this that maybe is after hearing you just share what you just shared, like just trying to understand like if it is like their ego that's holding them back? Yeah, I mean... Byron Katie is another amazing like wizard, you know, of self-help. And she says, if you feel bad, sound the alarm immediately and question what you're believing. And, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama, you know, these people, there's nothing toxic about their positivity. There's nothing, you know, they're just the most beautiful souls. And you think about like Putin, you know, and it's like, how much does he get about the world? You know, this whole ocean. He's not really seeing it that way, right? But I think when you feel bad, the question is, question what you're believing right now. And usually the reason we're feeling bad is because we're believing something that's not true. And we typically think it is true. You know, like nobody gets me or I have to do everything alone or I'll never make it out of this or there's no way like it's and it's like, is it true? Right. That's the Byron Katie thing. Is it true? Is it really true? Can you know without a shadow of a doubt that it's true? Right. It really makes problems disappear. But the problem is, and this is what Abraham Hicks talks about, feeling good feels like too much of a cost. See, the thing is, when we start to feel good, what does Brene Brown say? As soon as you feel joy, the brain right away goes into fear. Uh-oh, why did I just feel like I could feel good? Something's about to happen. So Brene Brown's research shows that joy is the most vulnerable emotion because the ego has to calm down in order for you to feel joy. Ego is the brain's design to protect you from a saber-toothed tiger. So it's always looking for the exits. It's always looking for how you can't trust this person. It's always looking, and that's all the illusion of separation, right? Like you and me are separate as if that's possible. So I gotta like impress you and you're different than me. And how many followers do you have versus who I have? And what can you do for me? And I mean, it's all that stuff, right? That's all ego. So to feel joy, I have to let go of that. And that means I can't worry about predicting what might happen. I can't try to control how something scary might happen. Yeah, I have to go in. That's what joy is. Yep, that's what it, it, it costs you fear. And people don't want to let go of fear because on a very somatic level, since they were little, that fear protected them. It's a survival skill. So the ego is protecting us. And we want to belong. We want to make sure that we get the approval of other people, all of that. So 
that's what's really at stake. And so we can say, right, to go all the way back to where we were 20 minutes ago, and I mean this with so much respect, and I, I appreciate your saying, I'm playing devil's advocate, because I like these kind of conversations, you know? But when you said, you know, but life can be hard, and like now 20 minutes later, and I'm not saying that you need to be on my side of the, the table here, but you can see why I say what I say. Because spending, and I've also interviewed 650 of these people, right? Byron Katie, Deepak, Marianne, Gary Zukov. I've interviewed all these people. So 650 hours on top of everything I've done, it's hard. It's hard to co-sign. You're right. Life can feel bad most of the time. There's a lot of challenges and life can be really, it's really hard to co-sign that when you've been living where I'm living. It's just hard. And then what's very exciting though, is the brain starts to rewire itself which starts to change our nervous system. And then what starts to happen is I start memorizing how good it feels to be in touch with reality this way. And then I really can't go back because I'm not conditioned anymore to feeling that negative thing. And as soon as I do, I know something's out of alignment. So I go back to alignment. Does that make sense? Thousand percent. And I was just gonna to bring up like a relevant example. Like I found that when you try hard to impress somebody it could be for me if i'm trying to impress a girl or if i'm trying to impress somebody in business like i find that that situation ends up going like the exact opposite of what i wanted and it, it doesn't go well because i'm being somebody that i'm not and we're both podcasters and i'm sure you you've probably had this experience i would imagine in 650 episodes and some of the guests that you've interviewed that i find myself when i try too hard to impress a guest or i don't I just let go and just be natural that the conversation doesn't go as well as like the one where I just let it all go. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to flow with it and let it go. Like if you had that same experience yourself. Oh, hundred percent. That's the best. In fact, that's what I love about you right now. You know, like when somebody placates to somebody else, that person feels uncomfortable because they're aware that the person in front of them is playing to their ego. Right. But if you really like care about having a connection, you just, show up as your your true self right and you know i i've heard tom petty say like playing guitar he would come off the stage at madison square garden and he would have to pace in the hotel room for like an hour every show and he said the reason he had to do that is because he felt literally possessed during the concert like he would put his hands on the guitar and he knew he's playing guitar but he would let go so much to the point where something else was playing the guitar, right? And if you listen to like the way Michelangelo describes like painting the Sistine Chapel, he says that like something just came over him. So now they've studied that. They call that flow, right? And flow is where literally they can see in the brain that the ego gets quiet and real consciousness shows up in the room. Now, what makes that a sign of consciousness because again, the ego is trying to protect itself. So it wants to predict and it wants to be self-conscious and it wants to script and it wants to prep and it wants to get a certain agenda. Consciousness wants to just be in flow. Yeah, that all makes sense. And you're right. Like I think at the end of the day, like as humans, people just want to be around people that are just being themselves. Right. And I think the minute that we try to lead with like accolades or achievements or like what what can you do for me and all these things that our ego likes to do, it gets us further away from the very thing that we want, which is to build a relationship or build a connection with somebody. So I'm glad that we I'm glad that we touched on that. Like as we like kind of come to our close of our conversation, I want to go into like something like a bit more personal, I guess, as we've talked about so much of your of your life story and you've shared so much wisdom you know, some, so many people would say, okay, like you seem to have it all figured out and you seem to have everything going on. Like what has like been one thing that recently, maybe it hasn't been hard for you as we've talked about, but it's been something that you've been working on to improve in your own life. That is a goal for 2022 or even as we head into 2023. Well, I'll say it this way, you know, once you are aware of what really is real and what isn't, it's very disappointing when you feel yourself sabotaging yourself. So I have that all the time. And I'll be like, oh my God, can you let this go? You are so addicted right now. Like my husband the other day, we're driving and I say something and he responds with a sarcastic, you know, when people go absolutely or 100%. Oh yeah, 100%. And he was being, he was being jokey about it. 
and I was really pissed off. And he he knows a lot of what I just said too, because he's been with me on these dispenser retreats. He's been to UCLA with me. And he goes, how many minutes are you going to be in this? Like, you're going to be in this for 20 minutes, the whole ride. And I was like, damn it. It's so hard to get out. Like, it's so hard to get out. Right. And so what I'm working on all the time is taking this software that's been in my subconscious, like hardwired, you know, since I'm 12 and I'm constantly trying to get in there. And that's why I meditate in the evening and in the morning so I can get in there and rewire it. So that really is hard. Or when I get like, you know, for instance, I've had a cough since COVID. I had COVID in January and the cough didn't go away, but only at night. Okay. So watch this. So I say to my doctor yesterday, what's going on? I'm only coughing at night and it's not even when I'm just laying down, like starting around like 11, I start coughing. And he says, well, that's interesting. Cause if you told me you started coughing when you lay down, I would say it might be post-nasal drip. Like as you lay down the back of your throat, da, 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 da. He's like, so it's at night. I said, yeah. And he goes, lying down or not? I said, yeah. He goes, that's inflammation. That's inflammation. And I was like, oh, it's the worst thing you can say. And so he's like, yeah. So, you know, during the day, you know, what kind of inflammatory foods are you eating? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not drinking any dairy, not eating dairy. Right. And he's like, all right. So there's some amount of cortisol pumping through you because at night, what we've seen is when the inflammation sort of builds up at night, sometimes people get a cough. And I was like, there it is. There it is. Right. And so I'm checking myself constantly. I'm constantly aware, constantly aware. Like that was an hour I just missed because I was in the program, I was in trance, and I just gave myself an hour of cortisol and I'm coming back up for air, right? So, and I have tremendous compassion though for it. Like this is just the way we're wired. You didn't program yourself. Doug, you didn't program yourself, I didn't. You know who puts those programs together? Your parents your uncle, the experiences you've been through. And like, we have to reprogram it. You know, we, we all have to, your parents did, did the same. They had to reprogram it too. So it's like, it's all good. It's just, believe me, believe me, the more, you know, the more you're just aware of how much you have going on. Right. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm here in a body with an ego. Right. And I have all my ways of like, I'll notice it's unbelievable. Like I'll notice I'm talking to someone and I'm about to get a parking ticket. And I will not ask to get up and I'll watch myself get a parking ticket. And I won't even say, I just got a parking ticket because I grew up in a house with a lot of violence. And one of my protector skills was just keep cool. And then what happens is I leave that meal and I'm so mad about the experience because that's not being authentic. And that really, it, it stings. And so I'm constantly making strides, constantly making strides, but there's, there's so much still to set down. There's so much old stuff to set down. And I, I got my own set of cards with that every day. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I mean, I think it's enlightening for people to hear that, you know, despite like your your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and the amount you have grown, like personally, professionally and spiritually, like there's still obviously you're a human being and we we all are still going to be like working on stuff constantly, but it's just having the self-awareness and the confidence to know that, okay, like I have the power to work on this and it's an ongoing thing. I mean, you said something that I totally relate to where you said like it really stings when you feel like you're acting like out of integrity or inauthentically. And that's like a big trigger for me. Like one of the things that that really bothers me is when I find out somebody is not who they say they are. Like when I'm like, man, like, especially like in the world of social media and the personal oh development. Oh my God, I know. When you find out somebody who puts on this facade of like one thing and then like behind closed doors, you either interact with them or you find out like, like, wait a second. And um, people are like, why does that bother you so much? I'm like, I don't know. Like some of the stuff you tell me doesn't, doesn't bother me that much, but this is just one thing. And I think it goes back to my childhood where my dad would... Like say he's going to do something for me and he wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Right. Mm. And so now it's like I'm I'm almost authentic or I try to be like authentic to a fault, you know, sometimes and where I'm like like overtelling the truth or oversharing sometimes, which is again something that, that I'm continuing to work on. But it's beautiful, honestly. It's like I, we really know where you stand. And I also want to just leave your audience with this one thing because I think that shame 
the more I've studied shame, it's the most toxic thing, right? Because there's a place for grief, grief and pain. It's it. There's a place for it because it's how love gets expressed, right? Grief, right? It's it's actually beautiful. It's like it's your way of connecting still to that experience of having that person here. And so there's so much love pouring out of you. And that's why a lot of people don't really ever stop grieving is because there's a part of us that that wants to keep being in love with that experience of that person or that whatever we're grieving that relationship and that there's some beautifulness to that but shame is so toxic and i just want to say there's no place for shame right like pain is one thing but shame and so one of my mindfulness teachers used to say every morning it's such a gift to have tea with yourself and invite all the parts of you to join the parts that are broken the parts that are brave the parts that self-sabotage because make no mistake about it like yes i just sort of i gave over a lot of this what i think is very life-giving work of all these different people sort of putting it all together in a pot right and i do think it's true you know i i don't think that Eckhart Tolle and the Dalai Lama and Wayne Dyer could all be wrong about all of it because it's just it just hits as true. At the same time, I don't think that being in wholeness, right, as a soul would mean that you would feel shame about anything because we all every soul comes into this world. And Freud said we all have an ego, right? And everybody has a physical form and we do live in a physical body and we do want to protect ourselves from danger. And so why would we shame our 11 year old self who's been practicing these survival skills? We would just say, come on over here, buddy. Like, I got you. I see you. I love you. And now it's really about like the conscious mind, right? It's kind of the, the parent, like the higher self saying to the subconscious mind, I'm not going to let you live there anymore right? I'm going to come and I'm going to take care of you, but not from a place of how dare you is like, that's what you needed to do to survive, right? That's how you thought you'd make it through the world. That was brilliant at the time. And now it's just really actually causing you pain. But Mark Groves, my friend, Mark Groves, I'm sure you're friends with Mark too, or you know, no Mark, but he said to me when I, I told him personally offline, you know, oh, I'm going through this and I know better, you know, I know better. And he said, yeah, it's like your your little self, your subconscious ego self is looking at you saying, you promised you wouldn't throw me to the wolves again. You promised you'd show up. And that brought me to tears because instead of being like, you know, in this place where we make the ego the villain, the ego is a little kid who's been doggy paddling, who's been working so hard to get you through everything and literally now is begging you to show up. And instead of like judging it or being entranced by it, it's like, no, like this conscious part of you, you promised you'd show up at some point. And so I think that's helpful because there isn't any place for shame. And I think the more that we come to just see and have awareness, we can love all, all people's stuff then, right? It's like. When, when people tell me they're sober and what they're going through and their addictions, I feel my whole body relax. Cause I'm like, oh my God, like you're aware of your broken parts where your ego gets involved. Like I have that too. It's like the best friend to have. Nobody wants a friend who's like, I have everything figured out. I have no problems, but you have, like Freud said it, like you did come with this part of yourself. You're up against it. So I think it's time for all of us to release the shame and then we wouldn't judge other people so much. You'd be like, he lied, I lied too. You know, maybe I don't make those kinds of lies, but I lie to myself, right? I've lied, I've exaggerated things. I said yes when I really wanted to say no, that's a lie, right? Like we could all just have a lot more compassion by, you know, and I guess what I'm saying is the first part of our conversation was about deconstructing like identity. God, we identify with pain and our ego as reality. And the second part is like, now that we see what it is, let's have some love for it all, right? So we can actually get the work done. That was so beautifully said. And I think it's a great place for us to, to end the combo. Kathy, this has been amazing. And for people who are listening, I highly recommend they, they go and check you out it's the kathy heller show right and then yeah it's kathy heller presents don't keep your day job and the idea is that a day job is synonymous with anything that just feels blah 
And the idea is that every day you should do your work in this world, whatever that is, and feel alive. And so that's kind of what we explore. That's amazing. It's so good. And you're so good at what you do and the way you articulate some of these hard conversations and, and things into something that can be like easily digested. And then I also invite people to go check you out on Instagram at kathy.heller. And um, for those listening, what I invite you to also do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Kathy said about living abundantly. Maybe it was something that she shared about like her music career and kind of how that all transformed her. Maybe it was something that she just recently said about the importance of, of recognizing your ego and how to deal with things when they don't go well, like whatever it was, tag Kathy and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopst, and we'll see you next time.